sorry, can't get those notes exactly right when whistling. I don't know if I can forgive you. Are we recording? Yes. We are. Everything. Oh, we are rolling. recording. We're rolling then, huh? Got to make sure my everything looks right. I mean, they're all watching you. They're looking yeah. at you right now. The world <laughs> sees you. We're ready to start then, aren't we? I'm Marshall Vanderf. This is the Draftsman Podcast, which I share with Stan Prokopenko. And we are continuing. Yeah, you're supposed to, when I give you the ball, you're supposed to run with it, not so. Oh, but I was going to say the ball you gave me. <laughs> I said my name, and then I. Yeah, but it's. Did you. I pass it right back to oh, you. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, then uh, I got it. <laughs> Welcome to the Draftsman Podcast. I'm Marshall Vandruff. I'm Stan Brickbanko. And we are going to talk about art school as project. This will be the last of our bits of advice for those of you who are not going to do art school the traditional route. You're going to try to take it into your own hands, and we're going to address the issue of workspace equipment and resources that you miss out on if you don't go to art school how are you going to do those on your own what if yeah, you what decide if you go? i'm not going to go there forget yeah, screw that, that place that expensive cintiq tablet and that free air conditioning yeah who needs that stuff yeah i'm gonna stay at my parents house what do you do well you stay at your parents yeah house there you go some of that bedroom. is solved yeah, by yeah, staying yeah. at your parents house air conditioning I got started at my parents' house. Me too. You did too. Did. Many a person has. True. Okay, well. Garages are a big thing, right? Garages are where great inventions have happened. Yeah. Garages are where careers have begun. Garages are where long hours wasted discussing politics have happened. Yeah. We're here to talk about workspace and equipment and resources. Yeah. How much equipment do you really need to succeed as an artist? It depends on what kind of artist you want to be. Mm-hmm. But not much. Mm-hmm. A pencil, at least. A pencil and a paper and an eraser are a good way to start. It's a good start. It's probably the minimum, the absolute minimum. Right? But if you Can you start with a rock? You a could, but let's just say <laughs> we're going to start with a mechanical pencil, paper, and an eraser. Do you know that that could keep you busy solidly for a year? Most of my classes, most of my classes in the colleges, when I have the materials list, which is required, so everybody knows what materials are, it is something to draw with, something to draw on, and something to erase with. And I recommend mechanical pencils for the most part, and I recommend just bond paper for the- How many smart asses have you had that brought like a crayon and a newspaper? <laughs> there haven't been any so far. There haven't but been any? But if there were, oh, if there I'm were, so that might be the creative student. The point is this, to understand perspective and anatomy and mm. cross contours and rendering yep. and those basics, all you need is pencil paper and maybe an eraser. It's a lot cheaper, even if you want to be a painter, it's a lot cheaper to learn the fundamentals of drawing with a pencil, not with paint. Okay. And in order to paint, you need to know how to draw. There's, there's so much overlap. Some things are kind of silly to learn with paint, mm -hmm. like perspective. Right. You know? Like, you know yeah. Anatomy, even. Yes. It's a little silly to, to learn that. Even shading. 
Well, yeah, and we we talked about that back when we were dealing with uh, somebody asked. Uh, there was a voicemail. Of, oh, really? It's be, you know, painting before drawing, drawing before painting, and and oh, we gave them, we, we gave did. them our reasons. Mm -hmm. But let's take it to the next thing with painting. Mm -hmm. Paints can get really expensive. Yeah. However, if you simply start with wash, if you simply start with walnut ink, if you start watercolor. with watercolor, watercolor, uh, way cheaper than oil paint. Yeah. Even, you know, if, if you really come down to it, just coffee or mud. One. <laughs> but the point is a, a stain, a wash, old uh, cheap gouache, you can learn a ton about massing lights and darks. You can learn a ton about lighting and rendering with that. Yeah, and you can practice being comfortable with a brush and putting it on canvas with just a burn umber pick right. out type of thing Which is or burn umber and white. Mm -hmm. Both very cheap colors. Right. And very permanent. Uh, uh, the yes. burnt umbers and burnt siennas and... Yeah. You colors. don't need to pay $30 a tube for those things. Yeah. And... Uh, but then when you start to do big oil paints and you're going to use the cobalt blues and the series yeah. fives and those kind of things, that's where it starts to get expensive. And so it starts to run into the hundreds of dollars. Okay. So what have we solved? How much equipment do you need? I guess if we're going to make this practical, this is I all... I think what we're saying is if you're just starting don't assume you need to be using all the same stuff you see the professionals using you if you yes. see race car drivers racing with you know half a million dollar cars with these engines that are the best in the world that doesn't mean they learned to drive in that car right. you learn to drive your parents car yeah and see if you can get away from the cops. Civic, yeah. a thirty-year-old Civic, yeah, that barely runs, but it does. Okay, let, I'm going to take this to the extreme for us. Yeah, if we we went from drawing to painting, and I'm going to go into one other discipline that makes the well, again, Steve Martin stand in front of a group of people and try to entertain them, and that doesn't cost anything except for whatever you're going to wear. <laughs> <laughs> the basic skills of a person who's going to be a champion storyteller, even if they're going to be a filmmaker that does $100 million films, the basic skills can be learned with nothing but pencil and paper in one year, and that yeah. all of the work is really done in training the mind to understand what makes a compelling story. So it does not take money to get training, basic fundamental training, to speak of. Yeah, and there is that... That stereotype of beginner students focused on the supplies mm -hmm. and not on the skills. Yeah. The most common question, and it's like people put this on, on their shirts, mm -hmm. is like, what kind of pencil do you use? Yeah. And like, what color did you just mix? You know, you go to a workshop and that's the first question I was going to ask. Yeah. And so, stop it. Well, we should throw in a caveat here. Teaching watercolor for a number of years, M Windsor Newton's watercolors and Daniel Smith's watercolors, they're really good watercolors. Yeah, and, yeah. But, but here's what I want to mention about it. I'm going to go back to what the point we're making. They can be expensive watercolors, but there's these, unfortunately, Windsor Newton has a line of student-grade watercolors called Cotman's, which was wrong because Cotman was a great watercolorist, and they used his name to name the cheap watercolors. <laughs> okay. But... Those Cotman watercolors are don't have nearly as much pigment. They're, they're not even nearly as good as, right. as the big ones. But I had a student, Marlowe, 
who he could take the Cotman watercolors and he could do little comp studies that were so gorgeous because of, of his decisions. And that's where the training happens. I remember an audio engineer who was a teacher saying, the equipment is very important, but a good audio engineer can make it sound good with two tin cans and string. Yeah. Because it's your choices that make the difference. And I got a lot to say about that topic. Like, okay. there, are, there are some dangers in practicing too much with cheap things, okay. but I want to do a, full, a separate episode okay. on that. So right. look forward to that. Yeah. I'm eager. Fact, My dad is I haven't even Igor. really... Uh, I haven't been drinking much of this coffee and I'm feeling kind of rocketed in just in the energy that's going through my system. Looking forward to it. Now, let's shift gears here. Yeah. Because this thing about drawing with a pencil on paper and painting with cheap paints and learning how to tell a story, what about when you are going to do digital art, which takes equipment that is expensive, what do you do with that? Digital art? Yeah. So you're saying like you need a Cintiq to... I'm poor. Everybody's working in the digital realm to do all of this digital art. Yeah. That's how I'm going to be employed. How can you how afford can these I afford tablets that? and what stuff? What do I do? Yeah. Again, you don't need to start with the really expensive stuff. Mm -hmm. You don't need that 32-inch Cintiq. You can get their $50 tablet and it's good enough. Is it really? It the is. The $50 tablet is good enough? Yeah. Now it is. Now it is. It didn't used to be about 10 no, years ago. No, because now the $50 ago. tablet is better than the the good tablet, or, oh. or probably equal to, okay. with less bugs, I didn't know. to the one 15 years ago. Okay. Scott Flanders still has just his little Intuos 4. I don't know which Intuos it is, but it's not a display screen. Yeah. It's a, it's a tablet where you, you draw on the side and then you look at a separate monitor, right? That's yeah. one of the big leaps that happened in digital art is that it went from tablet to display monitor where right. you can draw right on it. But you don't need it. Scott Flanders, professional digital artist at home, still uses a tablet. And it's an Intuos from the one he's had for a decade. I know. I, I still have my old Intuos 4 and I felt embarrassed about it. And Vance Kovacs was doing a uh, demo for, for students. And uh, this was, you know, stuff that he's working on for big budget films and he was working with an Intuos 3 and it didn't bother him at all. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, I, I didn't even know that's what it was. I was using an Intuos 2 when I started Proco. This was only, this was like six, seven years ago. So this is becoming Intuos competitive. Two. Now we're going to say, and I, yeah. I know a great I artist using, using an Intuos 1. No, I, I didn't even have a towel. I had a mouse. Now we're going to go back to, and I know someone who did great art by using... <laughs> by My using... mouse wasn't even plugged in. <laughs> <laughs> I had a broken mouse and I sold it to an art museum and it's modern art. <laughs> but no, seriously, so, I looked it up on Amazon for 65 bucks. You could get a Wacom Intuos mm -hmm. and it comes with three programs. Which are? I don't remember. But, but I know they have um, Manga Studio or it's called Clip, Clip, Clip yeah. Studio. Yeah. Uh, Painter and then oh. one other one. I don't remember. And their license is for like two years. Really? $65. That's great. It really isn't that expensive. If you think about it, $65 is the same as buying like three sketchbooks nowadays. Okay, yeah. If you think, oh, three sketchbooks or software and a tablet, you immediately think, oh, that's going to be way more expensive than three sketchbooks. But it really, it's not. You, you Sketchbooks are also expensive. So you're making the pitch that the cost of digital, is for at least for accessibility, yeah. has come down. Yeah. 
There's also the the thing where, you know, well, but you still need a computer. Yeah. That's expensive. Well, you want me to tell my story? Hold on. I'm trying to... Oh, yeah, yeah. You're, so I'm I, on I was, path. Yeah, go ahead. Go on your path. <laughs> you don't need a computer. You just went to the end of the story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of hoping I could get some There is no plot here. Okay. <laughs> There's a question and an answer. No development. Okay. No characters. You don't in the need story. a computer. What, you what do don't. you need? What do you need? Well, I think Wacom now makes uh, one that you connect to your phone. Everyone has a phone. Everyone has a phone. Yeah, th- I think it's only Android, and I haven't tried it yet. Okay. I will soon. But on the box, it says you can connect it to your Android. And so, but the the fact that it says that on the box means in a few years it'll it'll work really well. Okay. So if it doesn't work well yet, that means this is this type of thing is in development and it will be common for you to just use your phone and use the Photoshop and the 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 Procreate, you know, all the apps that are on your phone and use your phone as the processor and not your computer yeah. and connect it to the Bluetooth display tablet and your phone's in your pocket and all you have is just this thing. Okay. You know, the, the alternative is iPad, but that is expensive. You could always do like a Surface laptop. The Microsoft one? I've I've tried their tablets and I, I actually don't like the the pressure feeling of it. Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't. Maybe I'm just using it wrong because I know Glenn Vilpool really likes the Surface tablets. Huh. At least that's what I've heard. But like, I've tried them and I just I, they're way worse than the Cintiq. <laughs> to me, I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. So the, there's where you got it. personal preference. Some people like a steel string guitar. Some people like nylon strings. Some, every, everybody's got their own yeah. thing, and that's uh. Yeah. It seems like it was made for like writing instead of drawing, mm-hmm. where you can tilt and there's really sensitive pressure. I'm wondering whether I ought to pull one of those uh, let me tell you what it was like in my day stories. Yeah. Let me tell you what it was like in my day. Uh, okay, right. first of all. back and take a... Most, most of my career happened pre-digital. And it was in the early 90s. We, we know. Pardon? We know that. Yeah, it was, it was airbrush and ballpoint pen and paintbrush and all that stuff. And so if the courier Cave came paintings. to pick up the illustration in the morning and take it to the art director, if anything happened to that original art, there was no other record of it. And that was a big deal. Also, you could not finish a job and move things around. You'd have to repaint the whole painting or even have to splice out the, the board. It was a big deal. Yeah. And digital was starting to happen. And I was doing, I, I did some digital jobs even on a school computer, but I didn't have a setup because setups were expensive. And I asked one of my clients, I said, would you prefer that I was doing these digitally in Photoshop? And Bonnie said, Marshall, I wish you were doing these digitally because it would save us having to scan them because everything's going digital now. It was 1994, November. There had been some fire someplace that had made RAM expensive. I bought a Macintosh 8180 that cost $5,000 for the computer and $5,000 for the RAM. Oh, that extra was 5,000? Yes, 128 <laughs> megabytes of RAM. Nobody <laughs> yes. had that. These were when computers had two, four, and eight megabytes. And if you were really rich, you had 32. And so it cost $5,000 for 128 megabytes of RAM. And that was so little RAM that when I was working on some jobs, every time you'd touch the brush, it would go, brrr, you know, you have to wait for it to do its calculations. Yeah. And a monitor, big uh, uh, NEC monitor, and no scanner, and no printer, and a Wacom tablet. And I had to have people help me set Wait, it all in 94? up. 94? 94. What was the tablet back then? 
It was a Wacom tablet. Yeah, it, was a, it, was, it wasn't, I don't even think they used the word Intuos back it was, then. It was pre-Intuos line. I think it was, yeah. And now here's the thing, Photoshop, that was the year that Photoshop added layers. You didn't even have layers in the first uh, iterations of Photoshop. But here's the thing, when you added layers, every layer you add doubled the amount of right. space that it took for of the whole thing. Of course it does. Yeah, they, and so <laughs> it was really, but the, the point is, I had to have this equipment and I, I put down a cashier's check for over $14,000 to have it delivered that week. But I had billings of over $20,000 in that next month because all my clients were, Marshall's digital now, so we can have him do this stuff and it's gonna save us money. And it, it paid itself back immediately. But it was also a major learning, there was no internet back then. How do you learn this equipment? I hired tutors, I had to uh, have a professional calibrator come in because the, what you saw on your monitor and what printed were two completely different things. Manuals, 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 so just constantly learning. And that was what it was like not that long ago, you know, 25 yeah. years ago. And so now you're telling me your phone. That thing that's in your kitchen with the power cord. Yeah. That you can only go like 10 feet away from. Yeah, the, the coil cord. Yeah, that and, thing yeah. is better than your $14,000 setup. Yeah. How'd I do for telling a personal story? Did that was really fun. Thank okay. you. And this is back when you had that beautiful mane of hair, because that's how I was imagining you the whole time. Uh, this was about like, the time when my of mane of one of my mane. One of my friends pointed out my mane of hair at that time was starting to slide. Oh, man. It was up here, and then it started to slip, and it would went down here. And no, it, it, I, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to keep my current image. Yeah, Complete keep your current with sound image. effect as it slides up here. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that is all of the subtext of this. The sub what we're saying here is that we live at a great time so that even yeah. with the expensive digital stuff, it's not that expensive anymore. It's becoming more and more accessible. Yeah. Okay. And everybody already knew that. Oh, they did? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I don't I'm know if they people. did. They, they, maybe they do, but they don't want to know. And they want that Cintiq. And that's their excuse of why they're not yeah. starting, is that oh, I need to get that expensive stuff first. Yeah. Gosh, if you want an inspiring story, I don't know it well, but J.K. Rowling, or is it Rowling, J.K. Rowling, yeah. the Harry Potter woman? Yeah. If you read her story, I think she was having to go in and... Coffee shop. Coffee shop, yeah. yeah. And, and wasn't Writing it even on napkins. A, was it yeah. a typewriter? Or, there wasn't somebody who made their, their hit novel by actually renting where you had to put quarters in the typewriter at the library to make it so that the typewriter would work. It might have what? been before her time. Yeah. Seriously? That the, they did their first what? novel that and the novel was the public thing that libraries? Can, yeah, public libraries use? used to have typewriters that you wow. could put a quarter in mm. and that way you'd rent it for an hour or whatever it was. And so but somebody turned their life around because they had access to a typewriter that they couldn't afford at home. So these stories should be inspiring to say with limitation. Also, wasn't that one of the basic principles of creativity? Is to create limitations, limitations yeah. that make it so that you have to think it through in new ways. This was my limitation. I don't have access to all that. How can I get ready for it? We were talking about 1917 during lunch. Mm -hmm. There's a huge limitation, right? You know about it now then. You I, I it read it. You, you yeah. told me not to read about it before I watch it. And the first thing I did is I went on Google. Yeah, so you're just one of those. So I know how to manipulate now. Is, just <laughs> Make me curious. Don't light that match and throw it into oh. the gas. Oh, reverse psychology. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't look it up, Stan. Yeah. <laughs>
Hold on. You're easy. <laughs> okay. okay. I might not even get a chance to see it. I have a baby. So what else does college provide people with? Let me tell you something college provides people with. In the summer, when it gets 90 to 100 degrees, there are few things nicer than going into a room that is air conditioned down to 72 degrees. Yeah. And when you do that at home with a local air conditioner, you're surprised by the bill at the end of the month. And if you have central air conditioning, you were surprised to find it was $400 a month for that. And yeah. you say, oh, we've got to cut back. And so you cut back and you're still sweating. But you were a little cooler, and it's $200 a month for that. And when the school covers for that, it is so nice to just go there and be in the air conditioning. Yeah. There's also heating. Not everyone lives in Southern California. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's also uh, heating in the there's cold heating yeah, when okay. it's cold. That's not really a problem if you're renting, right? Yeah. Do you, do it, you have to pay oh, for yeah. air yeah. conditioner and heat? I have always, oh, yeah, okay. yeah, I've always had to pay it. Yeah, didn't know that. That's an electricity bill. <laughs> you didn't know that. No, well, I mean, you got a solar roof, right? <laughs> Everything's free. <laughs> it's not free. I have to pay for my. Oh, that's right. Solar you have to pay roof. for a solar roof. That's right. But still, once you got it, and while it's working, old Mister Sun is right there saying, "Here." Because <laughs> I live in Southern California. Yeah, and I got that sun beating down. Oh well, hey. Wait. Let's let's say a person yeah. lives in a place where they don't even have air conditioning and they don't even have heating and they just live in a place where the temperatures are rough and they're saying, I want to forge a career as an artist. What advice do, for, do you have for them, Stan? It's not always bad to be uncomfortable. Hmm. Oh, well, let's wow. talk about this. It's just you hear stories like this all the time where people have to deal with hardships and that acts as fuel to work harder and to get to a place better what's that movie with will smith uh pursuit of happiness it just shows it's kind of like the american dream movie where he, he worked he's in a really difficult place you know he's got a kid and he has to work but nothing's working out and he he works so hard and he eventually gets out of it and he He's successful. Okay. Sort of thing. But it, it can act as fuel, like I said. It can. You know Casey Neistat? No. Who's Casey Neistat? He kind of revolutionized or changed the vlogging feel. Like everybody just started copying him as soon as he started vlogging. Uh -huh. So he kind of created the, the current vlogging style. But he, in one of his vlogs, he was talking about his history. How when he was uh, probably late teens... He, oh, yeah, I think it was high school even. He had a kid, and he was living with his girlfriend, and he was working as a dishwasher at a seafood restaurant, and he hated it, and he was a kid. And he has to pay, for, you know, he, he doesn't have any money to do anything that he wants to do. He just has to make enough money to support his girlfriend and pay for all this stuff. But it every he says that every single time he was at restaurant washing dishes he would be thinking and planning how he is going to get out of this just to escape prison to, yeah and and that's how he made it happen yeah he, he got out by figuring i can use the internet i can perform on youtube i can do this well it 
Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a pat. It wasn't that he just like all of a sudden became a vlogger after that. He he was a filmmaker first, and he okay he did a lot of other stuff. Not other stuff. He's a filmmaker first. I just think that, you know being too comfortable can just make you lazy. It's it's true. And he's like, well, why? What am I working for? I I yeah. like where I'm at. I'm just gonna keep going with this. There are advantages to comfort, and there are disadvantages yeah. to it. Uh, this is similar to Stevie Ray Vaughan's inciting incident. There is a wonderful, less than an hour documentary, Legends, narrated by Sean Penn of the story of Stevie Ray Vaughan. He had been a musician. He had been playing in clubs all night and then having to go to school and sleep through classes. And he worked at some place, that a fast food place or something, and he fell in a vat of grease. Like boiling grease, or just no, no. It was, but it was, it was that was the thing that made him say. <laughs> I'm just wondering how bad this story. He gets. Was, I, I think he was a teenager at the time, and he decided, I'm done with this, uh-huh. and I'm going to pursue the music. And he pursued the music at great cost and great discomfort. And that, that's why his story is worth paying attention to. Is that you see someone who is aching to be a professional musician and the world is not meeting him and the world is not meeting him and year after year the world is not meeting him and then the world finally responds and it's inspiring i have watched that thing 20 times with students it's a great inspirational story and one of the key incidents was that i hate this job i've got to get out of it and this is the only way i see to get out so you're going to take a chance on the jailbreak do you you didn't have that did you i mean i'm I feel weird saying I do because I, I definitely am more privileged, mm-hmm. you know? You are. Yeah. And so trying to be like, oh, yeah, I had a really tough. <laughs> but did you have it in any way? I mean, yeah, even I, this is a I little had micro those, way. I had those feelings of like, God, I really hate this. I need to work to get out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents owned a Quiznos. Your parents owned a Quiznos. Yeah, they, I didn't they, know that. They did. Those were good sandwiches. Oh, I I did too. That was. <laughs> I, I mentioned their competitor one time. Should we go there? And my Subway? my friend said, uh, "Old socks." That was his description of Quiznos' competitor. Quiznos was a place that had the good, the uh, the good. Yeah, Quiznos had the superior sandwich. But yeah, and so I had to work there because I was still living with the parents. So they're like, "Well, you're gonna have to help somehow." So go make some sandwiches. I was like, "All right." And, uh, yeah, of course I hated it the whole time I was there. I was trying to, I was thinking about the animation project I'm working on at home and what I'm going to do to make it better. And it was when I got home, that first thing I did was to hop on the computer and just start working throughout the night. Because first job as an artist was a sandwich artist. (laughs) I was good. You were a good sandwich artist? I was a good sandwich artist. I spread things evenly. I'm not one of those assholes that yeah. put everything in the middle and there's nothing on the outsides. So we should... We God, sh- I hate that. I, I understand. You care. <laughs> I care about we my sandwiches. subvert the whole Proco empire so that you'll go back to sandwich making and reconnect oh. with your roots and give us good sandwiches. No. Oh, you can train Cooper. Yeah, he's going to have to make me some sandwiches. <laughs> Actually, I'm making him sandwiches now. That's right. He gets a peanut butter jelly sandwich. Okay, so the Quiznos thing was a little of that for you. Yeah, it was. And I definitely felt that way. And it, I mean, it wasn't that bad. I wasn't like falling in a tub of grease. But yeah. it was something I didn't like. Yeah. So I, I think just uh, the point is some discomfort is good. 
at that prime time in your life when you're when you need motivation to become something the drive towards comfort is good if you get comfort too early you become used to it and you don't develop the habits to work hard yeah if then later on in your life you you achieve comfort you've already you already know what it's like to have to work hard and you you got those habits and you probably keep you know bill gates still works really hard mm-hmm. right he's still trying to fix yeah. problems all the time working on stuff he doesn't need to he's very comfortable right it's there, because he worked really hard when he was young yeah. to to make something happen and he just that became him yeah, we've spoken about that, about creating things, making things more difficult than they need to be in the early stages in order to get the initial strength that keeps you going. And this is a way of taking, it's not creating these troubles, it's that I've got these difficulties, why not put them to my advantage yes, and learn exactly. to fight against them? Yeah, you don't make try to make yourself more uncomfortable. Yeah. Just try to realize that this can be fuel, use it as fuel. Yeah. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. There was a, a documentary I watched recently called An Empire of Their Own about these immigrants who came from mo- mostly Poland and Russia that came out to the United States at the time that the pogroms were persecuting them and then eventually came to Hollywood and, and invented Hollywood. And one of the commentators said that these were, these were tough people. They were people who came from really deprived circumstances when they came out here had this work ethic and this motivation to make things better Mm -hmm. okay now you're saying that means you get used to working in the sweaty environment or in the chilly environment you get used to working with the bad materials you get used to working with deprivation of some sort you still rise to the occasion you rise stronger yeah don't let it defeat you if you don't have all this stuff figure it out I mean, okay. your Tajikistan, what's that guy's name again? Um, oh, Jama from Tajikistan. Yeah. is He, he is an icon of that. Yeah. He came from Tajikistan and he rose above everybody else. There were still yeah. some really great students in that bunch. Here's something about this, this difficult circumstances. Mm-hmm. The fact is, in fact, there is a course I'm listening to right now on leadership. With, I think it's Michael Roberto. And he talks about research that shows that people think, well, limitations of time can make you more creative. And limitations of difficulty can make you more creative. And some research has shown a lot of those limitations make you less creative because you go into panic mode and you don't consider all of your options. There comes a point where some deprivation works against you. What are some of the ones that you see? Are are there any that you see that, hey, yeah, this is something you kind of do need? Well, there's the workspace. You know, college does provide you with a place to, to do things. And you almost have to have a place. And you don't have yeah, to have a do. place, but you almost do. That one I, I feel like is, to me, it, it's really important to have my space where I can go and focus on things where I, I'm not distracted. Because I've, I've always had that. That's one thing that 
living in my parents' house, I was provided because of that. Now, when if I'm working at the office and there's too much going on or I just need to step out, I'll, I'll go to Starbucks if I want to just get out mm-hmm. and have my own space and just use their Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. work on a script but that becomes your office it's your office kind of, with, yeah. that's even been a trend isn't it you know the portable office and yeah and there's co-working spaces that are pretty cheap yeah let me mention one of my students from the community college donald kirby who never had a car and who took the bus everywhere he went he even took the bus long distances to meet us for field trips and because he took the bus he had a sketchbook with him and he drew and drew and drew. He also became a good observer of people. That was an example of somebody who was using the limitation to his advantage. How many people go out and look at other people on the bus right. uh, and do sketches of them so that you go with that, that cafe to character yeah. kind of. It's like of, James Gurney. He, he documents it all on his YouTube channel. Right? Mm-hmm. He goes out and draws people and talks to them yeah the portable studio yeah the fact that i don't need to have a studio at home so much i'm going to make my sketchbook my studio yeah. i'm going to make the coffee shop the bus the yeah. wherever wherever is convenient and often after he draws someone he'll walk up to them and be like look i drew you mm-hmm. yeah he'll get what them. are you going to do about then it they, yeah, <laughs> no he starts having a conversation with them and then yeah it means more than just the drawing i think sometimes they like sign it yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I might have made that up. Uh, let me mention my uh, situation at the house that my dad built. When I was six years old, my dad built a house that he'd spent three years on, and it was just the most wonderful house. It was. Uh, I was raised in a privileged environment. 4,000 square foot house, upstairs with studios, recording studio, art studio, all, all that kind of stuff. Nice. But we, we, we built those as we wanted them. Hey, wouldn't it be nice to have a place we could record or that we could uh, draw on? My friends can come over. But one of the disadvantages of being raised in Gene and Eleanor's home is that my mom was sociable. And we had people over all day and all night. You could come over there at two in the morning and there's gonna be social stuff going on because there's four boys in this house. And uh, I got to where when I wanted to be an artist, I did not want to be constantly around people. That was what really led to we start work at 10 o'clock at night with my community college friends who come over and we stay up till six, seven, eight in the morning working in that studio through the night. And that became our little enclave. But I found that when I was in such a social hub that I started to dislike being around a lot of people. It kind of huh. made me, it, it made me unsociable. I got branded in my family as the unsociable guy. And uh, I, to this day, I just kind of like to have a place that I go and huddle alone and then go out into the foray and back and forth. But the privacy thing was a big several year ordeal with me that was solved by, I did have space, but it's like, where will you ever escape into privacy in that space when everybody's all over the place? It would happen late at night. Wow. Was it like a nightclub? It was, it was a social club. One time we had over 150 people there at that house. My mom used to do big parties. And so, pardon? What was the event? Uh, was it like a birthday party? There, there were a number of things. They had, uh, they had social groups, church groups, uh, business. My, you know, my parents were self-employed. My dad was self-employed. So yeah, it was everything was going on there, and it was exciting. It was exciting when I was younger. It was not exciting when I was trying to be an artist, 
and there was never any privacy around that place. How big was this house? Four thousand square feet. Okay. And it was a. It was a. Well, I don't want to get into the house, but the, the house was great. <laughs> I mean, okay. a, there's a the mythology of that house. People who know me and knew me back at that house and knew my parents, we all have stories about how much went on around there. It was just a, a major hub. How many bedrooms? Five bedrooms, I guess. Whoa. How many bathrooms? <laughs> how many kitchens? Three-car garage? Three. Four bathrooms. Three-car garage? No, it was two-car garage. Two-car garage. Yeah. Poor people. You want to ask me whether it had a shake, <laughs> shake shingle t a roof or a tile roof? I don't know. Display okay. the blueprints. I loved that house so much that I figured I want to make enough money to rebuild this house. And I asked my dad. You loved it so much you wanted to destroy I, it and I, rebuild No, I mean, I wanted to build my own version. Oh, of you wanted it. to it build was, another you know, one. By the time I moved out of there, it was a 20-some-year-old house. And it was, uh, okay. I want to build my own because it was such a perfect design. I yeah. asked my dad, do you have the plans for that? No. I threw those away a long time ago. You gotta be kidding me, Dad! This was your final masterpiece of a house, and you threw no. You Can know, you draw the plans? I in a, why was it so great? Well, in my mid because he consolidated every square foot of that place underneath the stairway. You figure there's space under there. He turned it into a cubby hole that was carpeted so that when we were kids, we could camp out in there. You know, it's sort well, of like it's pretty standard now. It, it is pretty standard now, but he was innovating on, he would deliberate for a year or three to figure how can I make use of every square foot of this place? And it was just, it was really thought through. And in my midlife crisis, part of my midlife crisis, I was up all night for a couple nights. And one night when I could not sleep, I stayed up all night and went through every square foot of that house in my imagination, figuring on the other side of this wall was that. I realized I knew the house inside and out because of having lived there for 20 years and also having kind of you know grieved the, the loss of it and kind of going back to it, this reminds me that I come from that place. But this has nothing to do with draftsmen unless we start to try to fit it to we blueprints. We love you so much. Thank you. We want to know more about you. Okay. Yeah, that was a fun story. We Thank love you. you, Marshall. Hashtag we love Marshall. Oh, come on. Post your favorite Marshall screenshot from the Draftsman podcast. You we know when Marshall. you scrub through video? Yeah. That's that exactly. You get all these really bizarre faces. looking faces. Yeah. yeah. Favorite screenshot yeah. of Marshall. Hashtag yeah. we love Marshall. I see my face paused on everyone's computer all the time and I'm like, oh God, what? Do you collect favorites? No, I, we don't actually take a screenshot of it. It's just that they... You know, they're they're editing a video. It's me. <laughs> you know, of course. Well, so it's like, no let's have some fun with Stan's face. landed on a bizarre shot and we screenshot it so we can use it for a thumbnail. Yeah. Okay. I don't know whether we want to turn this into a trend. Anyway, where are we? There's also that home away from home. Yeah. Being able to separate work from from family or, or from your social life. Yeah. I mean, so I, I worked from home for a very large part of my short life. Mm -hmm. One of the disadvantages there is that there, there's no stop time. Yeah. Your desk is there and then your bed is right next to it. And so you, you could just live for a long time going from your bed to your desk and it's all just a mix and you can end up just working all the time because your work is in the same room. That could be good, but it's also pretty bad. It's good to have family time and it's good to be able to 
switch between those two modes in your head. Yeah. I was forced to separate it when I got, uh, or a little bit after I got married, but Mm -hmm. you know, we were working from our house. I remember Melissa and I, uh, and you know, Sean and John and some others were coming over to our house and we were all working at the house. I came there a number of times when we. Oh were yeah, recording. you yeah. recorded That's right, in, yeah. in our bedroom. That's right. <laughs> um, w- eventually, we're, Melissa's like, "Well, you know, we're gonna have kids soon." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah. okay." Sometimes okay. spouses don't want all that to happen. Yeah, yeah. There'd be times when it's like it's nine o'clock at night, and Melissa one's like, "You know, I'm getting tired. I want to put my pajamas on." Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I can't. I feel uncomfortable in my own house. So I had to separate that and get an office. And now it's really nice to be able to just stop at a certain time and go home and forget mm-hmm. and just focus on on family. That can be a set of opposites to look at for what's important to you because my my dad always worked at home mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't mind that. In fact, I, I picked it up. My older brother and I both, I have always worked at home and I've never wanted to separate the two except, you know, you gotta have a separate studio. And two of his sons didn't do that and my son, I asked him, Does it, did it bother you that you know he'd wake up any time in the night, two, three in the morning? I was always in my studio work. I said, everybody said, actually, I kind of liked it. There's something you're sleeping and you know that there's the grown-up who's oh. up and, and looking over the fort and taking care of everything. But he also, he also said, I do not want a job where I do it at home. And yeah. he became really big on I want to separate. I'm at work and then I'm home and they're two separate things. So you were working at night while he's sleeping. Yeah. When he woke up, Mm-hmm. And in the morning and afternoon, what were you doing? I was sleeping. I, I was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When were you with him? Pardon? When were you with him? Uh, I was I was with him every night. I mean, I, in it, the all, yeah, all all through his uh, early childhood, I was the guy who put him to bed. Oh, okay. Which was a great ritual, you know. It's uh, I was the up late guy, uh, home away from home. Oh, th- here's what here was the point I wanted to make. Some people love to work at home. There are writers who love to work at home. I know a couple that they, everywhere they went, they worked and they were a writing team. And other people want a clear separation between the two and some people are somewhere in between. But there is something about the ritual, about that if my work is out there in the guest house and I gotta go from the house where the house things happen and I walk across that area over to that guest house, I've done the ritual where I'm walking to work. You did it with walking to work. Yeah, uh, something that separates the two mm-hmm. is a is a nice thing to have. School can provide that. You have your dormitory, but then you also can go and you can work somewhere else. But you don't need school. You can go to the library if you're living with a bunch of roommates and you can't focus in your apartment because it's always noisy. My point is, go find a place where you can work, where you could separate that social thing from the work where you can draw and it can be a, a coffee shop a co-working space a library whatever okay this um, brings this brings up an element of healthy community healthy community has boundaries i remember a couple of colleagues that i really admired and watching how they would have conversations they'd be really working in the same office sometimes three of them in one office and then one of them said 
okay, conversation's over. I'm going to zone out. Put on his headphones. He'd go, and you knew not to bother him while he's going to be concentrating on this thing he's doing. But here's what I started to get from them. They were really respectful of that. I want private time now. Don't bother me. This is going to be my lair time. And everybody has that option so that you do not break someone's concentration. And that that's something worth discussing with your peers. How do we do the zone out? Just go, you go into the museum a number of times in these last few weeks. The rule yeah. is there's no rule except that you are free to say, I want to separate from the group and go concentrate. Or if you say, oh, gosh, I want to show you some things, asking whether that's okay. Yeah, but there's something about being in the same room still, even if you're zoning out. That, that might make you want to just go and participate in that. Boundaries should be discussed in advance. Yeah. When is it okay to interrupt? When is it not okay to interrupt? I don't mind if you interrupt under these circumstances. I do mind, and I'm asking you not to interrupt under these circumstances. It's not that hard to discuss, although some people feel weird about it. Gosh, we're yeah. talking about the relationship? Yeah, we're talking about the relationship so that it can be long-term and healthy. Now, let me, let me mention something. We had a student who was also in an area where he couldn't be employed, who was one of our best online artists. He was so talented. And the idea is that we'll get together and three of us will be in one apartment. After that happened, a year and a half into it, I talked with one of his roommates who told me he was the roommate from hell. Well, he was the guy who will eat your stuff in the refrigerator. He is the guy who will borrow your car. Can I borrow your car? I need to go. And then two days later comes back and you had no access to get hold of him and you had no access to your car and he thinks it's okay. And he ruined his reputation because he did not respect boundaries because he was just, he was, uh, he, he, he just damaged his, everybody knows him for those worst things about him. Uh -huh. And that all we can say, oh, he was, yeah, he's a really good artist, but nobody wants anything to do with him. And you'd never uh, refer him uh, to, to a job. That was the kind of thing that those ground rules at the beginning of the relationships of what is and it's not. It's not like with dogs where you pick it up emotionally. There is that. But there's also the ground rules of how we well, will have long-term Would the ground rules even make a difference if you have a roommate like that? No, with a roommate like that, they might not. Yeah. But it was also, here's an advantage of discussing boundaries uh, in, in advance, like with a contract. It's that we have an agreement that this is not what you do, and you've done it, so don't do it anymore. And if the person responds, yeah, yeah, I, I won't do that anymore, that's great. That means that they can be part of this community. But if they make excuses for it, they don't take responsibility for it, then you have objective grounds to say you are damaging our community and it's particularly difficult when you have several people living in one space that's where yeah. the real friction and rubbing against each other can be and that's what happens when you don't have money you ever notice that the more money people have the more they will make it so that you've got your own bathroom your own room you've got all this control over your environment yeah and the less money you have the more you have to share it with several roommates and share a bathroom with several right. people well it's because space is what you're paying for yeah equipment and workspace equipment can be cheap and you can gradually earn more workspace what did we solve with workspace we, we just didn't. gave some advice some tips we did but a lot of it was hey 
I had a privileged workspace. <laughs> yeah, I had a privileged workspace too. Donald didn't. No, not all of it. No, not all of it. You know, seek out work uh, workspace <laughs> part of it was coffee let, shops um part of it was let the pain be a motivator part of it yeah uh part of it is that if you're in community with people in limited uh, workspace you put energy and even beforehand as much as you can and regularly giving a feedback loop of how are we doing with our workspace who's uncomfortable who's feeling like they're not getting what they want so you've got good communication when you have to share workspace but we haven't even mentioned a huge resource for most people in many parts of the world, not all. What's that? The library. Well, I mentioned you can go to the library to work. You can't, yeah. But, but it's also a resource for books, I guess, yeah. Libraries were going out for a while because Barnes and Noble and Borders and that kind of thing, you could go there and they had places you could sit and they got yeah. a coffee shop and all that. And I remember mm -hmm. our local libraries were just shriveling and they were kind of miserable places to go to. And in the last year, I have used the library more than I ever have in my life because I can now order online at three in the morning. I can say, do you got it there? Good, I wanna put a hold on it. And they save it for me. And so I go to my local library and I get stuff from all over this place. And another thing good about the library is that you've got a due date. So you are more motivated, since I don't own this and put it on the shelf and say, I got it, I'll get to it someday. Right. I've got to get this back or I got to go through the trouble of renewing it. Uh, knowing me though, I would just put it on, put it somewhere and then a year later I'd be like, oh, oh crap. I owe it. <laughs> I owe money. <laughs> that was me actually. I, I had a lot yeah. of fines. Libraries, libraries can be free air conditioning. Okay. Libraries can or be free heating. heating. That's right. Marshall. Libraries <laughs> often have little cubicles that you can use. Yep. So yeah, the library is just wonderful. Computers with internet. JK Rowling. Typewriters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quarters in the slot. I wrote down museums. Well, I remember when I was at the Louvre, there were people that would set up easels with oil paint and copy masters. Yeah. Sketchbooks in museums can be really inspiring. Oh yeah, that's a that's a great resource actually. Just go to a museum with Caesar Santos and he'll pull out the oil <laughs> Yeah. I mean, Caesar Santos does like museum tours on his YouTube channel. Um, uh, but yeah, no museums go go you could do stu master studies directly from the original, the original painting. thing. And you could get permission from the museum to actually right. set up an easel. Well, they won't let you do that at a Southern California museums very much because they're, they're really, really uh, strict security. Uh, but I, let's say this, almost every museum has free I days. Did, did you? Which, yeah. which, which museum? The art museum. It's In Balboa, Balboa the Balboa Park one, yeah, okay. Yeah. The San Diego Me and art Cesar museum. Cesar Santos made a YouTube video about okay, it when right, we, yeah. we went there and we, we didn't set up an easel. Right. But Getty will not let you do that. And they I, let us I think film. We set up tripods really? right in the middle of people walking around. Yeah. And we were drawing in sketchbooks. We took up a whole bench. It, it was like a big room where we just kind of. That, that's nice of them. We called them the night before. Okay. So they got permission. Yeah. We, yeah, we got permission. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. You can get permission. Okay. Well, here's another thing though. Museums almost always have free days. In yeah. fact, at the Norton Simon, yeah. they had a list of every museum in LA and when the free days are, they had them blocked in on a calendar so that if that's important to you. If you're in the UK, the majority of their museums are free. Is that right? Well, too bad. Yeah, we're not, we're not in the UK. No. Gardens are great. I mean, if, the, if you live in a place where the weather is good and you've got access to a park with a garden, 
uh, wonderful places to work. Mort Drucker, who did all those caricatures of the movies for the Mad Magazine satires through the 60s, 70s, 80s, and, and even in the 90s, he would go into the theater to watch the movie a number of times, and he'd get he just kind of imprint it. That was kind of his workspace, and he'd do sketches and, and work this all out. So he was using the theater uh, as a as a workspace. What about uh, software? Did you already software. deal with that? Oh, well, that's one of the resources that a school can provide you with is access to, you know, like Linda, you know, yeah, online resources where your training tutorials and stuff and software like Maya and whatever it is you, you need to, to do your thing. Yeah, wait, I don't know if I have a solution for that one. I have a solution that's what? sort of related to it, maybe. Piracy? Oh, yeah, you're right. Piracy no. and there are a lot of free things. There is no rule that you cannot spend the 90 bucks and four of my friends are going to watch. It's probably in the terms of service. That you can't show it to your friends in your living room? You, they, well, um, in your living room, yeah, sure. You, yeah, you can. You, yeah, you can't do it for, for profit. You can't do it for, for broadcast yeah. or whatever. But you, you can can't say, like, share your account login information, that sort of right. thing. Right. But we're talking about trying yeah. to bring all these things together. I mean, if you, if you learn from me for the $12 perspective course, the reason I made it $12 is so that you could afford it. That was one semester's teaching crammed into a $12 course. But don't, don't share it around, but share it with your friends if you say, I want to learn perspective. And it's easier to learn perspective with two or three of us watching these yeah. and then discussing it and then getting creative. Here's where it really turns into community. We're going to make up our own assignments and you make up your own assignments. And when you do each one of those maxims that Steve Martin gives about your career, and then you stop it, and then you discuss it among yourself, there you are using the minimal amount of money or sharing the money that we will take every course on the internet that we want and pool our funds together to do it. And it isn't just that you get it cheap. You get another thing that's even more valuable than a person who buys these things and never watches them because they've got such an active social life elsewhere, you are pooling the money together and you are creating your, yeah. your community of, uh, of shared language. All right, Marshall, thank you for another wonderful episode. Thank you for You're welcome. co-hosting this Draftsman podcast. <laughs> thank you for half of the wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> cool, guys. That was uh, Equipment, Resources, and Workspace. Yep. And what's next? What are we? I think that we've involved? exhausted what we have to say, actually. Oh, yeah. The next thing we're moving on to, if you do go to art school, how do you make the best of it? It's the one for the people that are going. If you've decided, look, I've sat through episode after episode <laughs> of you guys saying, hey, you don't have to go to art school. You can do it on your own. And it's like you have not convinced me I'm going to art school. Or you haven't convinced my parents. Oh, that's the thing. I'm yeah. going to art school. Yeah, it's the parents that usually need the convincing. Yeah. Uh, because they are old school. So let's address, you're going to go the traditional route. You're going to go to art school and then move yourself into the career. I have a lot to say about this. I have yeah, too cool. much to say about this. Cool. Well, I'm but, looking uh, forward to... We'll see if to... we can boil it down to some, uh, some useful maxims to help make the most of the money you spend. Cool. Okay. That's next time. All righty. Give us those TikToks. Yeah. <laughs>